So good morning again. Um, I want to welcome everyone um, who is now joining us from the downstairs traditional space or anyone who's joining us on live or the podcast. We're so glad to have you um, with us this morning. Um, so I have a friend um, who we've been friends for, I don't know, maybe a decade or so now. And she has been a really great friend to me in my life. Um, she is someone that I have gone to to talk about all kinds of things, right? Especially the, the big stuff or the hard things that have gone on in, in my life. Um, she's been there when we were um, adopting our kids and through like health struggles and job changes and all of that. And one of the things um, that is true about this friend is I think she's really wise. And when I go to her, I'll say like, okay, so this is what's going on and I really need some advice and I need you to tell me what would you do and what do you think I would do? And every single time she responds by asking me a question. Every time, like she'll just be like, well, what, what, what do you think that you would like to do? What do you think would happen if you did this? What do you think would happen if you did that, right? She leads me down these like trains of thought and I'm just like, I just need you to tell me, like, what do you think? What would you do, right? But the reality is that when she responds with these questions, she makes me think about things that I hadn't thought about before. And it's really stretched me and I've had so much growth and I think of her as one of my most wise and trusted friends. She is someone who I I would tell anything to, someone I would ask anything of, and she, I could not, I was straining, I could not think of one time where she has actually suggested for me to do something. She always asks me questions. And I think there's something really powerful um, about that, right? It was a sparking curiosity and wrestling with things, holding tension. And I want us to do a little bit of that together this morning. Um, and I, I think, you know, some of the questions that we're going to ask are actually um, inspired by this book, Good Enough. So we all just watched, you know, this bumper video. Um, there, there's a book called Good Enough, and it's a new book. It just came out, and it's written um, by Kate Bowler um, and Nicole Ritchie, and it's, it's actually, yeah, it's a devotional book. They have 40-ish devotionals in it, and so it's broken up, and, and what they're doing in this book is really presenting these questions and things for us to think about and, and wrestling with the idea of like an imperfect life, right? What is it to have an imperfect life in a culture that is constantly pushing us towards doing more, being more, being better, and that sort of thing? And so they wade in some deep waters and they ask hard questions, which I really appreciate. Um, I love a good question. And um, so we're hopefully going to wrestle with a couple good questions today or think about some stuff. And I think that you're up for it. And do you know why I think that you're up for it? Because you came to church on the Sunday after Easter, right? This is not Easter Sunday. This is the Sunday after Easter. I was talking with one of my great friends who is also a pastor in town, and we were talking about this Sunday and how we love the, Easter, or the Sunday after Easter, because, you know, East, I mean, Easter's fun. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, I mean, if you're a pastor and you don't love Easter, that's maybe a problem, right? But so it's not like I don't love Easter, but, but the, the Sunday after Easter, when we all show up here, we're asking this question of kind of like, okay, well, what now, right? What do I do in light of Easter? If last week was true, what does that mean for me this week? And so how do we think of ourselves and our lives in light of considering the resurrection, thinking of Easter, you know, what does that mean for us? What does it look like for us to be a follower of Jesus um, in this time? 
And so to help us look at this, um, I want us to read together. Um, this is a story about Jesus, and um, this is the, the um, temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, so we're going to be reading it from the Gospel of Luke. This is in chapter 4. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in, in, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it's been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Okay, so I really wanted us to look at this story in particular because this is a story of Jesus kind of starting into his ministry. So this story happened right after Jesus was baptized. Um, he was in the Jordan River, right? The, the dove came down. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this was before Jesus had any disciples or before he kind of lived out um, his ministry. So this is him launching into something new. And that really felt appropriate to me on this Sunday after Easter when for a lot of us, we might be launching into something new. We might be stepping into a new season in our faith. We might be considering a new idea or a new thought of what does it mean for us to really be followers of Jesus? What could this look like um, in our lives? And so what happened with Jesus when he was starting something new, when he was launching into something, is the devil came to him and tempted him and was tempting him essentially to think about his, his life and to think, well, could your life be something different? Could it be more special? Could it be more extravagant, right? And so he went through and tempted him in these three areas, and, or in three ways. And so I want us to look at these three temptations and to think about this in our own lives because I wonder where you and I experience temptations to think that our life should be more special or more extravagant than it actually is. Right? Where do we experience temptations, and how might that be similar to these temptations that Jesus faced um, as he was launching into something new? Okay, so the first um, temptation, the first thing that the devil tempted Jesus to do was to turn a stone into bread. Right, so Jesus was hungry. He had not eaten in a while, and he was a real-life person, and so he was he gets hungry, right? And so the idea of a loaf of bread probably sounded really good, probably sounded satisfying to Jesus. And I think that in our lives, there are a lot of ways um, where we find ourselves hungry for things that will bring us satisfaction. And those hungers can look different, right? Sometimes Maybe it is a good loaf of bread. I mean, who doesn't love a good loaf of bread, right? But there are a lot of things that we hunger for. We might feel like we're hungering or have an appetite for a new job or a promotion. 
Or, or we might feel like we have an appetite for a relationship with a person, right? Oh, I'd really love to date this guy or this girl. Or maybe we have an appetite for how we're treated from, by people, right? I, I, I really w want to be more respected. Or maybe we have an appetite um, for, for an experience. We want to go somewhere. We want to do something. Or maybe we have an appetite or, or a hunger to, to have something in our life that we think would be nice to have, right? We're drawn towards things. We, we are... Um, we're hungry for various things in our lives. And Jesus' response to the temptation that, um, of, of the devil when he came was to say, people don't live by bread alone. Right? In other words, that's not the only thing in my life that will satisfy me. Right? Bread might be a good thing, but that is not the only thing that is going to fill me or satisfy me or, or fill this hunger or this craving um, in my life. And so what, what Jesus was doing, the scriptures that we read said that Jesus had followed the spirit of God into the wilderness. So he was following after God and he was focusing on the kingdom, right? He was praying and he was preparing for this ministry and, and his mission. And while he was focusing on the kingdom of God, the devil came and tempted him. And essentially what this temptation was, was for Jesus to use the, the privilege that he had to not, give, to not give that to the kingdom of God, but instead to focus it on himself. So there was this temptation to take what power or what privilege or what access that Jesus had, and rather than use it for the kingdom of God to, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel, right, to, to bring the good news to the poor, he was like, hey, what if you use that and you turn this loaf of, or this stone into a loaf of bread? Right? What if you took your power and you used it to satisfy your own cravings? What if you used what access you have, what power you have, and you used it and you turned it inward instead of outward? Right? I think in our lives, there are these whispers constantly that tell us that our lives are not enough. That we have these pressure points of hunger that we think will never go away, that will never be satisfied, right? I'll never look pretty enough. I'll never have enough stuff. I'll never have enough friends. I'll whatever it is, right? Wh whatever social media has convinced us of these days that we don't have enough of, that there will be these points of hunger in our lives, right? And along with that discontent is this whispered temptation for us to use whatever we have available in our kind of, power in our range to use that instead of using it to show love to people around us, but use it to manipulate our own environments for our own satisfaction, right? To turn stones into bread in our own lives and to take everything that we have and to focus it inward and to say, yeah, but I have this appetite. I have this hunger. I have this thing. And so instead of, of focusing outward, there's this temptation to, to satisfy our own appetites that are growing inside of ourselves. Right? I think that's one of the things that the devil was tempting Jesus with. Right? Recognize this hunger. Recognize this longing. And do whatever you can to, to fill your own um, longing. So the second thing that the devil tempted Jesus with was um, glory and authority. So um, the devil had Jesus look down from this mountain, and they're looking out over the kingdoms or the cities, right? And, and he's basically saying, listen, you could be in charge here, right? Do you want all this? Would you like to rule over all of this? Um, all you have to do is worship me. So we already know 
um, you know, Luke, who was writing this, already knows and believes. And, and we know, right, on, we're on this side of Easter, that Jesus is already the king of those kingdoms and will rule over them in eternity because he's going to rule over all the kingdoms. Um, and so this was something that already was Jesus's to have. Okay, but before this would happen, before Jesus will sit on the throne and rule over this, Jesus has to live this very ordinary, humble, human existence. And he has to walk through pain and suffering and death on a cross. And so the temptation that the devil is offering him is like, well, don't you want to rule in your kingdom now? Wouldn't you like to take that seat now? Right? Why are we going to wait for like the eternal redemptive story? Why don't you just go ahead and have a seat on this throne and rule over these kingdoms, have your glory, have your authority right now? And I think that actually this temptation that the devil brought to Jesus may relate to us even more than the last one. Because ultimately, what the devil was offering was something fake in, instead of something that was real. Um, we've been watching this TV show with our kids called Is It Cake? Have any of you seen that show? I don't know. Okay, yeah, some people have. I think it's new. I'm not sure. It's new to us anyway. So what it is, is it's essentially a baking contest. And they have these bakers who come on, and they can bake these cakes, and they make them to look like everyday ordinary objects, right? Like like a shoe, I don't know, or um, a bucket, or a purse, or something like that. Okay, and so they make these cakes, and then they put them on like a plate or a platform, and they put real everyday objects that are similar around it. So like if they baked a cake to look like a shoe, they'd have it there, and then they'd have several other shoes that are actual shoes that you could wear on your foot. And then they have someone else who comes in and says, can you spot the fake, <laughs> right? Can you tell which one of these is cake? Is it cake, right? That's the, that's the premise of the show. And it's this idea of like, can you tell the difference between something that is fake and something that is real? And in a sense, that is what the devil is tempting Jesus with. He is offering him something that is like a fake version of what is real. I think... Um, you know, this idea of skipping the hard stuff and ruling now was actually like, it, it would have been tempting because who wants to walk through the hard stuff, right? But the reason that it is fake is in part because I think like Satan, for one thing, if he had authority over them, he was, he was ruling over these kingdom as an enemy of God, right? He did not have any authority in alignment with God. He was opposite God. So to come to Jesus and to say, would you like to rule here? If it was a legitimate offer, if he actually had the ability to do that, he was offering it as an adversary to God. And, and so it was a trick, right? Any um, transfer of power would not have actually happened because Jesus would have been bowing down to Satan and that would have made him like, a pawn, essentially, right? He would have been a pawn of Satan's. And so Satan would have been over him. Jesus would no longer have been over Satan. And so it was like this whole twisted fake thing that was like, would you like to, to rule over this kingdom as the king? But actually, it wasn't a legitimate offer. It was fake. Jesus, the reality was, he was the real king. But he was offered something that wasn't going to happen, that was a fake version of something um, in, the, in that moment, and sometimes, I think for us, 
there are all kinds of fake setups that are whispered into our ears as temptations, right? These, these ideas of like, well, wouldn't you like to do this? Wouldn't you like to rule over your own kingdom? Wouldn't you like to be in charge of your own little area, your sphere of influence? Don't you want to lead here, right? Why go through all that self-denial? Why go through all that service, right? Why would you follow when you could be a leader? Wouldn't you be a great leader? Like, why, why would you do that, right? Why live among the poor? Why, why spend your time doing this? Right? But the, the challenge or the difficulty with this temptation for us in our lives is that along with the temptation for that, like it, it requires a pulling away of worship of God, which was exactly what was happening with Jesus. All you have to do is not worship and submit to God anymore. Right? To, to have this fake thing, it pulls away from worshiping God and following God's plan for his kingdom, which is the, the real kingdom that brings life and fullness and joy and peace. And we get these whispers of finding this goodness and this richness in these fake versions that are not actually reality. Okay, so the third temptation... Uh, that the devil comes and brings to Jesus is to throw yourself down off of this temple, right? So he takes him to the top of the temple um, and he tells him, essentially, you got to make sure that God's going to take care of you. So Jesus was about to start this ministry, launch his mission. And um, so the devil says to him, well, you know, I mean, it's in the Psalms, like there is this guarantee that you're going to be taken care of, but you, you better make sure Right? And so the devil is tempting Jesus to test God's faithfulness based on what will God do if you back him into a corner and demand a miracle? Right? Is God faithful then? Right? The, the one following is trying to manipulate God into doing things. Right? That, that's essentially what this temptation is. And there's also, you know, there's a bit of um, flashiness to this temptation. Right, because to actually throw yourself off of a tall building and expect to be saved, I mean, there's a little like razzle dazzle to that, isn't there? Kind of like, ooh, like I, I can just do this. I can throw myself down and I'll be protected. Right? This is the way of the kingdom. This is what happens. I get to have all of this great stuff and this protection and this provision. And isn't this so razzle dazzle? And I think when we think about our own lives and the temptations that are whispered into our ears, right, there is this temptation to have a dazzling life where every stumble that we have is caught or steadied and where there is no harm that comes to us, right? Because isn't that what it looks like to follow Jesus? Isn't that what we should expect, this razzle-dazzle kind of experience? Right, society constantly blares this message to us of living like these great lives, right? Constantly this forward progress, endless forward motion, right? Things should be getting better. We should be progressing. We have this like relentless optimism towards things always improving. And sometimes the church kind of co-signs on that, maybe without even realizing what we're doing, Right, where we have this idea of like blessing or provision or protection from failure because we're followers of Jesus. Um, you know, Kate Bowler in the book Good Enough 
and actually in her other books. If you don't follow her, she's worth a follow. She's really smart um, and helpful. But she talks about this idea a lot in the book, in, in Good Enough, where, where she's talking about this image or this idea of kind of, you know, living your best life now, right? Isn't there this idea that we should all be sort of digging in and have this relentless positivity and moving into things, improving and bettering all of the time? Um, and, and so in this book, she is really kind of, I don't know, pushing against that. I have a picture of um, her bookshelf that I wanted to show you. So she takes these sayings and she changes them, right? So have you ever heard w one of the quotes um, like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, Right? We love this idea, don't we? Like, oh, yeah, like everything that's coming against me, like it's going to be turned around and this is going to be great. Right? And so she changes it and she's like, you know, what doesn't kill you, it might try again tomorrow. Like, let's be real. Like, this is not, everything that comes against you is not going to be magically transformed into something glorious, right? And, and so this, this idea, right, she has another one, like life is beautiful and life is so hard. You know, like this reality, like can we, can we live in the tension of these things? Um, and so, yeah, this, this idea of like um, a diagnosis or a death or, or something that happens in our life that is genuinely hard, right? It, there's this desire that we have in society and even in our theology that those things are somehow good and that somehow that is going to be like part of our testimony or just something we just got to get over, right? We just got to knuckle it and we got to work really hard and we got to get through it because all of our life is moving forward. We are moving into being triumphant. We are moving into something glorious and my life is going to look amazing, right? But the truth is that those hard things in our lives, the things that try to kill us, they don't undo the reality of Easter, right? Even in the hard places that, that don't look dazzling, in these really tricky times in our lives, these things, we can hold on to them and we can actually have hope and we can have beauty and we can have meaning without demanding that they transform into something else, Right, right in the middle of the hard stuff, we can experience the presence and the goodness of God. We don't have to wait to get on the other side. And if it's something we can't get to the other side of, if it's a diagnosis that doesn't come with a cure, if we've lost someone that we can't get back, right, it doesn't mean that, that God's presence and his goodness aren't real right in the middle of that. And so there is, there is this real invitation to recognize the temptations that whisper in our ears of saying, your life should look different. You should be more special. You should have something stronger or better or more beautiful. Otherwise, your life's just a mess and it isn't working anyways. You know, one of the things that we see throughout Jesus's life um, is that he intentionally lived a life that was lowly. Constantly, Jesus was moving like towards humility, right? He was a king that never lived in physical abundance, right? He was a guy who had all the wrong friends, right? He was friends with all of the poor people and the sick people. Consistently, he was choosing a life that was ordinary and that was lower in status than someone might have anticipated him doing, he was God, 
and he was living a really humble human life right here among us. And so I have found myself wondering, what if this has been God's plan for us and for our lives all along? Right, what might it mean for us to live ordinary, not extraordinary lives? And is this what holiness actually looks like? You know, there's, um, in the Old Testament, um, people built a temple for God. And, you know, there, there is this question of, like, when God wants a house for himself or when God needs a, a home, a place for his presence to dwell, right? When people were creating a house for God, they built a temple. They built something that was big and it was elaborate and it was covered in gold and silver and jewels and fine linen and all of this stuff, right? And in the New Testament, when God was creating a home, he put on a human body. He became a human being, first in the form of Jesus and now in the form of us. You and I are carriers of the presence of God. Our bodies, our human bodies that are frail and broken and get sick, are the home of the Holy Spirit. And there is something that is really profound and powerful about that. Because our bodies are not these fortresses of strength or these images of just like, hey, Everything's wonderful about this, right? There is just inherently in the, God, the way God made us, there is frailty within us. And that is the place that God has chosen to make his dwelling place. That is where God has chosen to inhabit. And so this idea of good enough, right? What, what it is possible that like this has been what God intended all along. Right? We, we started off by like asking this question of like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Right? What makes someone like Christian enough? What makes a follower of Jesus good enough? Right? What does it look like for us to live good Christian lives? This is not a new question. This is something that people have been wrestling with since the first followers of Jesus. What does it actually look like? If you read the letters in the New Testament, many of them are written from Paul. He is kind of dealing with this all the time. People are like, oh, I think you need to eat these foods and avoid these foods. Oh, I think you need to be circumcised. No, I don't think you need to be circumcised. What does it look like to be a good Christian? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And I pulled this one verse that comes from Galatians. This is a, a, one of the letters that Paul wrote to a group of Christians that were wrestling with this idea. At the time, they were talking about circumcision and like, what does it mean to be a good Christian? You have to do this thing. No, you have to do that thing, right? And so this is what Paul said. He said, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. I put three different versions of the second part of this verse up here because I, I love how all the different versions capture something just a little bit slightly differently, right? But Paul is just saying the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, right? What does it look like to be a good Christian? What does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus? Does it look like attendance in these places? Does it look like circumcision? Does it look like eating or avoiding certain things? Does it look like wearing or not wearing certain things, right? 
Paul is saying the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Right? This is what he is saying. Right? So what does it look like for us this Sunday after Easter? Right? When some of us may be starting into a new kind of part of our faith journey, stepping into considering something new, what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus? Is it possible that faith shows up in small acts of love? Right? Could it be that small acts of love are what embodies a great faith? That for us to have faith in a risen Jesus, to believe that Easter really happened, what does that mean for us this week? What does that mean for us in the weeks to come? Right? What if these small acts of love that Paul said, hey, this other stuff, that doesn't really count. What matters is your faith showing up through small acts of love. Right? What if this is the main thing? What if this is what it looks like for us to be followers of Jesus? That God shows up in small acts of love over and over and over again, right in the midst of our very broken lives, in the chaos that surrounds us, right in the middle of whatever um, like strength or weakness we might be exhibiting. Right? What if this is what holiness looks like? Right? What if a, a good enough, what if good enough? is exactly God's plan, right? That God didn't plan for something higher and we just aren't make, making the mark, right? Not, not that God planned for us to be more perfect, to look more perfect, to be able to do more, to, to self-help ourselves into a life of holiness. What if his plan has been this all along? That right in the middle of all of the stuff that we're wrestling with, we love each other really well, what if faithfulness looks like receiving and giving God's love in the most ordinary of ways? That whether you get the promotion or you don't get the promotion, whether you get these things or not, that that doesn't impact the holiness of our lives and the goodness of God among us. That what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to live in the kingdom of God is the way that we receive and we give love. What if this really is at the heart of it? I want to end with this quote from Kate Bowler, where she says, what if we really believed that our ordinary lives were already holy? Right? What if we didn't have to do some extraordinary thing to impress God? What if we didn't have to do it to impress each other? What if we could just live exactly where we are in the middle of our messiness and our chaos and say, God loves us right now, and we get to receive that and we get to give that away. Maybe a good enough life is exactly what God planned for us. Will you pray with me um, as we close? Lord, we come to you right now. And we look at our lives and we recognize, God, that there are things that don't always match what society says looks like a good life. Lord, there is so much churning and there is so much working and striving towards positivity, towards growth, towards endless progress. And God, sometimes it leaves us feeling exhausted and it leaves us feeling like we aren't good enough, like we don't measure up. And so, God, we bring these things to you right now. And on this Sunday after Easter, 
as we consider your resurrection, we ask that you would once again, Lord, stir within us and spark our imagination to think and to consider these questions. What is it that you are calling us to? What does it mean for us to follow our risen Lord? What does that look like in our lives? And Lord, we pray that in the ways that we are tempted to focus on ourselves, to satisfy our own desires, to build our own kingdoms, to exclude other people in the giving of love, Lord, will you point these things out to us so that we can see where you are inviting us into something that looks more, that looks good enough. So Lord, we ask that you would meet us right in the middle of all of the chaos of our lives, in all of the good, in all of the joy, in the laughter and the fun and the brokenness and the tears. And in the middle of all of that, God, will you remind us that you have come to bring us life? And will you remind us what it looks like for us to find peace and goodness and meaning right in the middle of these good enough lives? Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for inviting us into this story. Lord, we ask that on this Sunday and moving forward from here, that you would continue to teach us and lead us in following you into a holy, ordinary life. In Jesus' name, amen.